Is the whole of life visible to us? Or do we in fact know only the one hemisphere before we die? For my part, I know nothing with any certainty, but the sight of the stars makes me dream in the same simple way as I dream about the black dots representing towns and villages on a map. Why, I ask myself, should the shining dots in the sky be any less accessible to us than the black dots on the map of France? A letter from Vincent van Gogh to his brother Theo in 1888. Vincent died a couple years later. Hello, fellow travelers. This is Becoming Human, a show where we're trying to explore ideas, learn as much as we can about the world, so that we can live accordingly. And my name is Tyler Kleberger. Am I a host? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of a host. Uh, uh, I look at myself more as a curator. I'm, I'm trying to go and do some of this work, uh, learning things, finding things, discovering things, and then offer them to you in any way possible. So today we are going to continue a conversation that we began the last episode, which is a conversation that we have been building up to for quite some time, and it's called map making. And this is one of the most important ways of resolving the differences that happen between humans. So when we're talking about conflict resolution, or we're actually just talking about how we disagree, uh, all of this is a very normal experience with any human being. There's going to be conflict. And map making is a, a pattern, but also a perspective and also an action for how to engage with those disagreements and differences and conflicts in a way that is tangibly constructive. Technically, it's the collaborative approach to conflict resolution, but it dives in further than just, you know, a, a mediation session. So the problem that we have today is that last time we revealed this idea. We, we talked about what it is and a little bit of what it looks like. And it would be easy to come out of that episode and be like, ah, this is a great idea. Very cool. But it seems like it needs to be fleshed out a bit. You know, is there a functional side, a practical side to how we actually pull this off? So today we are going to get into some of the details for how you actually do this. How do we translate map making into real time and space? And I want to offer four important postures and two ground rules that ought to be considered if we're going to pull this off well. And overall, here's the things that you need to keep in mind. And, and seriously, you could be talking about intercultural communication or intercultural experiences, right? You meet somebody from a different country or uh, from a different background. And this can go all the way up to how do you handle conflicts in your marriage that come up like every single day? Or how do you interact with your kids when something goes wrong? Or etc. Um, maybe even social media could learn a thing or two about this. And so the basic like premise, if you're like, hey, I don't really want to listen to this whole episode. I'm going to blather on about things that I don't really care about. The basic flow here that you need to utilize. And again, intercultural communication all the way to interpersonal conflict communication all says the same thing. The first thing you got to do 
is acknowledge where you are at. How do you behave? How do you view the world? What's your identity? What are you bringing to the situation? This is why we took some time to go over like the different kinds of arguments and the different kinds of ways that we create our own perspectives because we need to be aware of that. So you need to start with acknowledging what you are bringing. Then you also need to acknowledge what does this other person bring to the situation. And this is where we start getting into uh, one of the first practices that we'll talk about called empathy. The same way that you have your own unique take here, so do they. You have your own unique background, so do they. So you need to understand what that is. You need to allow that to inform the situation just as much as you allow your own space and time to inform the situation. And then you need to check your response to those things. So things like suspending judgment, acknowledging your limitations, acknowledging what's your preference here versus what's good, um, acknowledging maybe generalizations that you're pinning on the person that aren't fair. So you need to manage your response. And then you end that process by actually adapting to where the other person is and behaving accordingly. And, and this is called attribution and accommodation. And those are just the technical words for knowing where they're at and working with that information to actually come up with a mutually beneficial resolution. So that's the basic pattern of you know, what's going on here. So let's get into these four important postures and these two ground rules for how we actually pull off map making. Now, the best way to internalize this whole perspective, uh, to, to, to interact with it in a way that's going to make it happen in your life, is to think about a space where you're experiencing this kind of conflict or something that's happened in the past. So that way you can work through, okay, so how should I handle that? Or how, how should I have handled that back, back there? Um, so I'll give you one. An unfortunate situation, okay, and this regularly occurs for me, is where I I set off the religious sensibilities of certain strains of Christianity, right? So uh, I I work at a church, okay? It's it's strange, kind of unordinary, but still traditional Orthodox church, which, if you're interested, it's called the Farmhouse Um there's a website for it. By the way, there we also have, I do another podcast uh, through the farmhouse called The Bible Archives, which if you're into like in-depth kind of explorations of like one chapter at a time of uh, the, the biblical text, yeah, that's over there. It's called The Bible Archives. Anyways, this church called The Farmhouse, um, it's out in the middle of nowhere, rural area, it's where I live. Um and occasionally, I will say something that rubs someone the wrong way. Now, these are often people I know and have relationships with, okay? Again, it's a rural community, okay? We're known for very desolate populations and small-town gossip where everyone thinks they know everyone else, okay? 
cordial smiles do not prevail against cognitive bias. And so folks will, you know, I'll say something and they will approach me with what feels like boxing gloves on. And I'm not a good boxer. In fact, I hate confrontation and arguments and debates. And I usually just check out when, when that happens in general. But the reason I use this situation is these are folks that I know and I'll definitely be seeing consistently and whose lives are very tangibly interacting with mine, not just in this work church space, but in the community at large. So this is a situation where I could just use my academic background and my sense of superiority and out-argue them, and I'd probably win, if we're honest. Okay, I could enter the debate, I could compete, I could try to have superior rhetoric, and I'd come out of the disagreement on top. But what we've talked about is that all indicators of conflict resolution emphasize that that is going to be negative for the relationship. Okay, it's also a terrible way to solve a disagreement because of this whole issue of our perspectives and how arguments even work. So especially when it comes to disagreeing about an idea, the normal course of arguing almost certainly assures that no good outcomes are going to result. Unless, of course, you consider antagonizing someone, defeating them, showing them the truth, which is actually just your subjective, phenomenologically specific version of truth, unless you consider that to be good outcomes. Now, slight problem here that we started exploring is that most people never accept defeat from arguments. You know, both sides always seem to think that they were the victors. Another problem is that, you know, if you feel like you won, you showed them the truth, well, it assumes that you have the full objective truth, which we took time to explore. Epistemologically, that's quite impossible. So what can we do instead of all of this, in this kind of situation or whatever situation you have currently in your mind, well, map making, of course. So, how does this work? The first category that is incredibly important, and this is one that could be its own episode, it could be its own category, it could be its own subject, it could be its own course, whatever, is empathy and learning. This gets down to one of the most foundational principles of human thriving especially within relationships, but even further within communities and tribes, uh, within just sociological realities. Empathy is one of the most discussed items in history, in psychology, in sociology, because it often leads to better results for more people. So what is empathy? Now, let's assume that our default mode is to attack and defend, okay? The competitive approach to conflict resolution. You get in an argument with your spouse or with your children or with that person on social media and we're going to defend ourselves. We're going to attack them. We're going to win this thing. The counterintuitive approach would be to start by understanding where they are on the map. So in that brief process that I opened with, acknowledging what they bring to the situation, acknowledging where they are, in order to do this, it requires empathy. Now, empathy 
is the psychological conscious attempt to see, feel, and experience the world as if you are the other person. And it's at this point that I hope you realize why it was so important to go through all that stuff about epistemology and perspective. Because when you're in a disagreement with someone, it can be quite helpful to realize that this person has a perspective just like you, and their perspective does not exist in a vacuum just like yours. There are an almost infinite set of factors that have brought them to where they are just like you. This is that whole consideration of phenomenology and how one's experience, sometimes it's talked about, uh, especially within science, of qualia, the, the different ways that our minds and experiences give us the world as it is, that give us this perception of reality. You know, everyone, including yourself, has a perspective composed of a variety of influences and situations and histories and backgrounds and nuances and complexities that have brought them to the current place and situation. People are not two-dimensional characters with a static surface-level composition, right? Like they're not, and this is, this might not be a great metaphor. If you play like RPG video games, people aren't NPCs, you know, non-player characters. We tend to think that we have this, you know, first-person perspective of the world and we go around and this all revolves around us and uh, all of these other people are just objects that exist in order to facilitate our experience of the world. We have to realize that they too have their own experience going on. And if this is true about people, there are two important considerations for whatever argument or disagreement or conflict you're in. First, they're not working with all the information. And second, neither are you. Arguing, then, amounts to who is swifter with the proverbial sword. An argument could tell us who is more right than the other, but it won't ever amount to what is right. So we have to start with an awareness of our incomplete perspectives. And when we do this, it actually starts helping us see that our unique perspectives could be beneficial. And so through empathy and this posture of explorative learning, we can understand this is an opportunity to get closer to what we desire in the first place. Two incomplete perspectives could actually lead to two more complete perspectives than when we started with. This is the basic premise of map making. And so once we've settled the you know epistemological reality that neither person has the objective truth, you know, that there are these phenomenological issues impacting a given moment and time and the perspectives that are there, now we can use that different perspective to our advantage. The complex composition that has congealed as their identity at that moment right now might be able to help us with our limited perspective. So instead of two incomplete perspectives wrestling around trying to win, we ask, how could theirs help move ours more toward completion. Because the reality of your perspective is that, you know, it's composed of these different components that are unique to the specific experiences that you have had. This is partly why, you know, nobody's working with all of the information, but 
how you were raised, the kind of places that you've been to, the kind of people you've interacted with, your education, your background, all of these things come together and there's no other set of information exactly like that. So you have something that nobody else has. So not only do we see the world differently, we see the world in a specific way that's unique to us. And if both of our perspectives are you know, compiled in this way, we can now take all of that unique information and add it to our own if we choose to not go the argument route. If we choose to argue, that will never happen. Someone will win, someone will lose, but both participants will cognitively remain right where they are. Using empathy now is going to allow us to go further into the world than we were when the conflict began because we take all of this unique information from this other person and we add it to our own. Our perspective grows because of empathy and learning. Now, the two things that are really important in order to pull this off within empathy uh, are listening and then asking questions. Okay, so if you're in this situation, all right, the person comes up to me, has a problem with something I said. The first thing I need to do is I need to listen. And not just because listening is nice and uh, it's, it's respectful. I need to know what their experience is. I need to know the information that they're working with. I need to hear it. I need to understand it. And then we ask questions so that we can continue to prod into what's going on. Now, the questions also is a good way of, uh, you know, de-escalating hostility, of actually being curious about what the other person is saying. But the questions also help us to actually see more than we did if we just started arguing with the person or telling them why they are wrong. And this, again, can translate into uh, interpersonal conflicts. You know, your, your spouse or partner or parent or child says something that absolutely rubs you the wrong way. Listen and ask questions. And so as we begin to enter their perspective, empathy, and you begin to compile as much information as you can, some of the things you need to be looking for are, you know, what are their underlying interests right now? Why are, is their emotions so heightened? Why is this topic so important to them? But then keep going. Where does this perspective come from? Why do they think the way they do? What experiences have brought them to this place? You need to be aware first of where you're coming from. Empathy allows you to be aware of where they are coming from. This posture of explorative learning, where you assume that there is something we can learn from this different person and with this different perspective. And doing so might even bring you closer to a more full perspective on your own. If you just jump right into attacking or defending or arguing or competing, you literally close all of that off. Now, in, in psychological research on empathy, this is called, literally, it's called perspective taking. So you have your perspective and they have theirs. When you are empathic, when you try to see, feel, and experience the world as if you're them, you know, you're trying to be aware of where they're at on the map, that's called perspective taking. You take their perspective. 
And, you know, employing this technique, it allows you to then contextualize the contents of what they think and why they think it. So when the person approaches me and they say, you're wrong about that, or that doesn't make sense to me, I could just start with in the abstract world, you know, pretending that all of this information exists in a vacuum, why I'm right and why they're wrong. Or I could go, why does that bother them? What is it that is actually the problem for them here? Is it the technical definition of some word that I used? Is it the idea itself? Or is there something else going on here? You have to discover the story that brought them to this specific place, this specific moment. Can you have an open disposition that sees a disagreement not as a battle to win, but an opportunity to learn and grow? And if I start there in those conversations, not only does the relationship tend to go a little bit better, you know, we de-escalate hostility, but I actually get to learn from them. I get to see the world more fully because I decided to look through their eyes and not just my own. That's what this is all about. Now, this doesn't mean that you aren't right. It, I'm not trying to say, you know, just because somebody disagrees with you, everybody's right all the time. No, 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 no. It just means that your perspective too is incomplete. And so instead of looking at this as, you know, by being empathic, I'm giving up the foundation of my identity You just need to see this for what it is. Exploring the world, learning more than you did before, and growing, those are good things. No matter who's right or wrong in the situation, you can be unbelievably more close to the truth and still learn from somebody else who's got it apparently all wrong. The opportunity is still there. And so is the relationship. And so for me in the variety of disagreements that I experience, this practice has been valuable. You know, taking the opportunity to learn whenever you find yourself in a position of tension. And and honestly, this is just a good practice as a human being interacting with human beings. This is a staple of intercultural communication and conflict resolution. But as a result of doing this, the hope is that you're going to find a plethora of insight from other people's eyes that might help you understand the world a little better. And it'll also hopefully allow the relationship to maintain unity, even amongst amongst disagreement. It's my belief that, you know, any addition that we can mutually disclose to each other's limited perspectives is not only worth the endeavor, it's more promising and constructive than us at best agreeing to disagree And at worst, you know, wielding verbal swords in a battle that's destined for unnecessary animosity. At the least, using empathy and this posture of learning, this openness, I think you're going to be more likely to end up working with more information because you're gathering as much insight as you can from the world around you. That's what's going on with empathy and learning. Now, that leads us to the second category, the second posture, which is humanization. And this is connected to what we just talked about with empathy. 
humanization is simply what happens when we understand that this person is a human being just in the same way that we are. You know, when you learn the story behind the perspective, you've already begun this process. If you are in attack mode, you know, you're defending positions and arguing and competing. Usually what happens in order to justify our antagonism towards this person is we have to do a little dehumanization. And you see this in really basic ways where somebody says something that's a little bit ridiculous, let's be honest. And we're telling somebody about it and we go, yeah, and they're just filling the blank with some derogatory comment. What we've done there is we've said, and here's why they're wrong and I'm right, because there's actually something wrong or less about them. The dangerously slippery slope here is that their wrongness also makes them inferior. You know, your absolute objective truth, at least what you've, you know, statically perceived to be the absolute objective truth, it creates a a sparring match of enemies where we project the characterization of that other person in a way that we can now diminish their authority or credibility or capability to anything that they offer, right? So we have to be able to dismiss this person, especially in comparison to ourselves. And it is very possible that we may see them a little less than human. So starting with their humanity, it gives them more benefit and it gives ourselves a particular lens where if they could be wrong and they're a human, so could I. So when we start with this common, this shared humanity, we're not that different. And not only like because we're both human beings, but we're both working with the same kind of processes. It forces us to acknowledge that they're quite like us with the same limitations. And we actually kind of mirror each other in a way. So instead of proposing this black and white dichotomy where I am all good and right and they are all wrong, we find a much more gray area. And by the way, this is called projection when we do this, where we take any potential negative descriptors of ourselves and we position them on the other person, leaving us with all the noble qualities and them with all the loathsome ones. Um, Be careful that when you describe somebody in a way that might be a little bit less than human, be careful that you're not actually making a confession. When you look at someone with disdain and disapproval, you may be subconsciously looking in the mirror. Now, this process of humanization begins with recognizing the very human progression of what led them to see the woods in their unique way. Okay, remember, awareness of what brought them to the situation specifically here we get the opportunity to see that it's not all that different than what led you to see the woods in your own unique way so empathy creates an opportunity to learn which also forces you to acknowledge their humanity and how it's kind of the same as yours and now you get to approach them you know they're not an antagonist they're a fellow sojourner they're a fellow traveler with whom mutual assistance is going to foster mutual development if the person disagreeing with you is a human just like yourself full of the same flaws and gifts and messes and accomplishments and faculties and failings that you have, 
then they too have something to offer the map in the same way that you do. And let's be fair, even if their values or facts or information aren't all that great, we can still connect the pieces as much as possible to reach a better conclusion and see more of the world, more of the information than we would on our own. They can still be wrong. Doesn't make make their offering worthless. And listen, you can still be wrong. Don't forget about that. So give them the same credence as a human being that you give yourself. Now, ideally, and I've, I've hinted towards this several times. So think back to my, uh, my situation of somebody in my community kind of upset with something I said. And seriously, this happens more often than you might think. Ideally, there is a relational potential at play here. Okay, so remember what I said about seeing people as two-dimensional NPCs in an RPG game? If you don't know what that means, just skip the metaphor for now. It's possible, you know, to be um, nice and quaint. You know, we're posturing, learning, and empathy with, with no consideration that this other person actually matters to you. And here's the deal. It's a big world. Not everyone will matter to you. You can't be everyone's close friend. And there may be interactions where you have to leave that spot in the woods and you will never see or hear from this person again. The value of these postures, however, remains. But I always hold out that it can be beneficial to everyone to interact in a way that allows a relationship to be maintained even if it isn't logistically likely. At the same time, you can only control you. So what do we do if the other person is not approaching the given situation in this map-making way? You know, what if they haven't humanized you? What if you are still an antagonist to them? What if empathy is not being reciprocated? What if they're not open to learning and exploring? This brings up a third recommended posture in map making, which is trust. And here's what I mean by that. To proceed with map making requires a bit of vulnerability. You are choosing to refrain from your potential power of combating or competing And you are handing yourself over to the other person, trusting that they will not use their power to destroy or or hurt or take advantage of you. The positive potential is that you will both mutually add value to the other and to the relationship itself. The danger is that self-serving interests will prevail. And so you need to trust. Not only that the other has value to add to the map, but that the process will be mutual. Now, again, I can only speak from experience here, but I've noticed that when I don't display the competitive tendencies with another person, the antagonism usually gets disarmed. Maybe the other person is not intentionally saying like, oh, I see, we're going to collaborate now. This is wonderful. But it seems that you know when, when one person kind of sets the standard, that the typical game isn't going to be played, the other person certainly, you know, they, they kind of put down their sword too. The problem is that someone has to take the first step. And by showing interest and in collaboration, you know, and showing this openness and learning, 
in asking questions and listening and knowing the other story, displaying perspective taking, you know, attributing their humanity. When you do that, you're showing a first step, which it, it requires you to be vulnerable because they could not interact positively with that. But it makes mutual mapmaking more likely. So that trust is important, but here's the deal. What if they don't? What if you do all of those things? You know, you put down your sword and they keep fighting. What do you do? Well, again, I can only speak from experience here. This is where I walk away. And, and, you know, I'll probably end up having an argument in my head with them later. But I realize that nothing beneficial is going to come from this. And, I, and, and I'm not interested. And listen, this even happens with people I love. They'll start going on about something. And, you know, though I, I, I can't always literally walk away. Sometimes you can't literally remove yourself from a space. I disengage from hostility. I let them go on if they want. If it's uh, very hostile, I'll, I'll even, yeah, no, I absolutely, I agree with you here. Um, I still try to see, though, what I can find from their perspective. I still want to leave the situation with more information than I came in. I'm just not going to do that through arguing. So I'll do what I have to do to um, de-escalate the situation, but I also, mutual map making is not going to happen in that. But just because they're not interested in seeing my version of the map doesn't mean that you know I can't still elicit the benefits of map making. It's just going to be on a less collaborative scale. And this issue of recognizing that you can't control how they will respond to your posture, it gives us the last um, topic of how to conducively approach map making, and that's invitation. So we've had openness and learning, empathy. Second, we had humanization. Third, trust. Fourth, invitation. The only thing you can do is invite them to explore the map. You can't force them to go where they don't want to go. Just like how you are not going to be able to wake them up to your reality, you can't make them do this. And if map making is not a tool they appreciate, you're not going to change their mind on this either. So it isn't just an invitation for them, it's, it's an invitation for you as well. You are inviting the other into a posture that will add to their map but you are also inviting yourself to do the same, which means you might not want to do this because it's easier to keep things the way they are and map making renders that impossible. All right, now I wanna offer two ground rules, two ways to examine whether or not actual map making is happening. So, First, let's reach back to the episode on conflict resolution. It, it's got to follow the pattern of collaboration, okay? And there are a lot of factors here, from the type of language being used to relational power gaps between people to the whole dichotomy of positions versus interests. Map making is a specific embodiment of the collaborative style within conflict resolution, and the move here, okay, what, what makes this unique is where we're shifting our focus from convincing and defeating or changing the other 
to simply growing ourselves, which will hopefully allow the other to grow as well and may even, you know, possibly affect the growth of the relationship together. But the goal is to glean as much as possible so that you can have a more full map of the world than you did when you started. So even if you, if you are genuinely certain that they are objectively wrong, understanding their perspective and knowing why they are wrong can be an act of gleaning. And if successful, the other might even change. And so will you. But that is a byproduct, not the goal itself. So if you come in going, I need to fix this other person, that probably won't happen. If you come in saying, I just need to get what I can out of this and get out, that then that might not happen either. The, the benefit of learning, but also of what this whole process will do to the two people in question, it, it, it's beautiful. And if you follow it, at the end, I'm guessing that both people will change. So can you enter into any conversation, situation, disagreement with the humility of being a learner, of being someone who's going to expand the map? And this is what is called collaboration. Enter these situations by collaborating. Have that be your framework. This is the way. Sorry for that Mandalorian reference. Now, second ground rule. And uh, one way that you will be able to certify that map making is occurring is if the primary form of communication is coming through as questions. Hey, listen, statements are great, especially in response to someone else's questions, you know, or in explaining where you are. But if you are a bag full of answers, then you have set walls around where you currently are and you probably won't see much else. Empathy, learning, collaboration, invitation, all those processes manifest via questions because questions are how we explore. Questions are how we see more than we currently see. See, questions take you where answers cannot. Questions force you to transcend your current map and see potential uncharted territory. Genuine curiosity is the goal. Even if it is simply being curious about how they came to think the way they do, that is going to add more value to your own map and to the global historical map of humanity than if we just defensively maintain what we already know. So that, my friends, is map making. And listen, I experience selfish joy too when I hear or I read someone dismantle a perspective that I disagree with. And I think there are occasions where it can be necessary and healthy to expose a destructive or deranged perspective. Honestly, I only get into that when I am invited and when it exists in the confidence of a relationship where you know the connection's not dependent on agreement and where the other has given me the authority or permission to say that they're wrong. But that also means we have to be willing to acknowledge that we may be wrong too. And so outside of the rarities where disagreement may have uh, some practical value, I just think we'd all be better off if we made map making our default mode. If we made this collaborative process with conflict the normal constructive means for how we engage in relationships and, and in the world and with society and all of that. 
And, and just to be clear, this won't necessarily be a 50-50 process. There are some things that I know more about and have experienced more. And I'm probably going to contribute more in those situations. There are other times where I have very little to add, but I can still offer what I can. And in those situations, I'm probably going to come away with much more insight and growth than I would have if I just defended my limited position. We are so engrossed with being against folks who have been categorized with generalities and tribalism And so we stick to our base and we divide and separate and we lose a whole lot when we do. We've got to move past our fear of the unknown. We've got to set a standard of listening and seeing. And and this is so important. We've got to be careful that we don't become what we hate. If you enter the defensive, competitive, hold on to my position as the only objective truth that is acceptable game, then you are asking the other person to do what you aren't willing to do yourself. I've mentioned the the oracle at Delphi's uh, words about Socrates. He's the most wise person in the world. And he was the most wise because he was honest about what he didn't know and was confident enough to admit it which opened him up to learning more than those who wished to stay where they were. Map making forces us to see that we have one perspective among many, that we don't have the whole map, and neither do they. And your map could be a bit defunct. Theirs could be a bit defunct. They could be flat out wrong with their absurd understanding of truth, and so could you. But if our goal is no longer to be right, but is instead to fill out as much of the map as possible, then every person, every situation, it's an opportunity for us all to get a bit closer to being right together. It's a slow, long game. It's a difficult process. But in my opinion, it's better than the alternative of us all just staying where we are with incomplete maps. And you know what? Our diversity, our difference, and disagreements actually make a full map possible if we use them appropriately. Now, we need to dive into one more angle on perspective to close this conversation out. And that's what we'll do next time. So thanks for listening. Hopefully you got something out of this. As always, you can find more at tylerkleberger.com. Feel free to contact me ask me questions Uh, if you have ideas or things that you'd like to be explored seriously just let me know Um, and of course sharing the show subscribing all of that is it's helpful I appreciate it may you be a map maker and may you your relationships and our world never be the same as a result